0: Welcome to the Bookglass podcast and our international podcast series Bridging the Divide, Translation and the Art of Empathy. We are showcasing a selection of the best writing in translation from around the world being published this year in the UK by 10 leading independent houses along with a trailblazing publisher specialising in translation. Today I am interviewing James Womack who teaches Spanish and translation at Cambridge University. His translation of two collections of poetry, and some short fiction in one volume by Manuel Vilas called Heaven was published by Carcanet Press in April. The novel Odessa by Manuel Vilas sold over 100,000 copies when it came out in Spain and Gate are publishing it in English in November this year. This interview is being recorded via Zoom during the COVID-19 lockdown. Thank you, James, for coming to be interviewed. Tell us a bit about yourself and the 10 years you spent in Madrid.
1: Oh, hello. I studied languages at university, in particular, I studied Russian, Russian and English, and then was trying to set up as a translator, start to work a little bit as a translator from Russian. And then, when I was doing my master's at university, I met a woman who is now my wife, who is from Spain, from the south of Spain. And because of love, essentially, after I finished my doctorate, we went to live in Spain, and we were in the south of Spain for a year, and then in Madrid for for ten years. And I'd never, I'd never studied Spanish, and have learnt it by listening and speaking and and picking things up as I went along, and that makes me feel quite confident about the kinds of Spanish that I speak. And it was. One of the things that I um, felt very important very significant to me in the years that I was in Spain was that I was gradually year by year picking up on a kind of Spanish that I couldn't really have learned by studying and that's one of the things that I like very much about living living there. I like that a great deal so that's what I did
0: It's a real it's real living it's literally but you are living the language yes. living it which is which uh, also will give you huge sensitivity when you're translating for example Vilas who's a very real visceral writer mm-hmm. i think yeah, academic spanish that would not have that's not where it's at at all with his kind of writing is it so
1: no exactly i mean i think he's he's very interesting to translate uh, because one of the things that he that he does is he uses spanish in a way that on the surface seems fairly uh fairly straightforward fairly um fairly blunt and it's you, you sense reading it in spanish there's a lot going on under the surface and in a way what you need to do is to is as a translator to reveal the uh the underside to what he's saying to try to kind of um organize a way that might be acceptable in english the other thing i mean if we, if we haven't sort of moved on from this question the other thing i did during these 10 years in madrid was i set up and ran along with my wife a a small publishing house publishing and translating mostly from russian into spanish because i you know i mean i'm not arrogant enough to translate from two languages i don't speak or between two languages i uh, aren't my first language but my wife knows, knows some russian and we started off translating kind of between the two of us the first couple of books and then then started to hire translators but that was also very interesting because one of the things that it did is the moment you start to have a small publishing house in spain or anywhere you become aware of what's going on and you you're you have lots of shop talk and you're sharing authors and sharing things between people by via that I was aware of lots and lots of the material, the mostly fiction, the fiction and poetry being produced in Spanish at the at the moment. I think that was a very good crash course in absolutely mm-hmm. contemporary Spanish writing.
0: Is that and is that when when did you first come across the writing of Manuel Vilas? When it was it was when you were in Madrid and publishing, or was it?
1: Through... Yeah, it's quite interesting because Vilas, I used to be on on Facebook. I'm not anymore. I do, do. I'm on Twitter a little bit. But Vilas had an, a, mm. a very interesting social media presence. There was a there was a series of absolutely hilarious posts that he put on Facebook where it was it was Vilas talking to God. And so he would say, you know, God would say, hello, Manuel. And Vilas would reply, oh, hello, God. And then they'd sort of have a chat about various things that were going on in Spain at the time. And I was just I found that fascinating, and and it was he was obviously very influential on certain of the people that I followed, and then I I followed up on that and went to read some of his fiction first rather than poetry. I mean, I was aware of him first as a as a writer of fiction, and if I'm going to be absolutely honest, I was rather confused by him as a writer of fiction to start with because he's he's very certainly the first few novels, not so much Odessa or the his new novel, um, Alegria, which has just come out in Spain, but uh, certainly his first few novels, he really bought into this idea of sort of savage surrealism. I mean, very Spanish, sort of located in Spain, but very much open to anything happening. So there's an excellent collection Um, that he, a sort of novel made out of short stories called Aire Nuestro, which I'm sort of interested in at the moment and thinking about trying to pitch to publishers to see if I can translate some of it, which has stories about Locke and Whitman living in purgatory together and driving very expensive cars round (laughs) round the the ring roads, around the outer edges of hell. And then a, a really, really good story about an imaginary tour that Johnny Cash did of Spain during the sort of early um, sort of late Franco period and and just sort of incredibly inventive and and very much, you know, he has these obsessions. He's very keen on certain kinds of music, Johnny Cash, Lou Reed. You read Heaven, you'll see there are things about kind of the Who and so on. Lots of references, yeah. Lots of references. And what he, um, he has this sort of set of obsessions that he goes into and over and over again and i found the prose really interesting but equally sort of slightly discombobulating and i didn't really know what to do with it and then this is another example of how things work in spain that every year because we're we're based in madrid every year there's the madrid book fair which is it's i mean it's it's heartbreaking to see this because it was shut it was cancelled for this this year it's difficult to uh overestimate how important it is for small publishers in spain because you might if you get a stall there you you're there for i mean it's 17 days i think it starts on a friday and then goes through two weekend three weekends you might be making i don't know possibly a quarter of all the money you'll make that year in these in these two weeks just selling books to people it's incredibly lively It's in the, I mean, it's wonderful because it's in, it's not in the exhibition centre, it's right in the centre of town, it's in the Retiro Gardens, it's in the open air, you have stalls set up, about 500 stalls, something like that, just along one of the main arterial roads in the Retiro, and people just walk up and down and all the publishers are there. I was sharing my stall one year, or our stall, that I was, my, my wife was looking after our son, with A, another publisher, um, who, and I was talking to him about Vilas, I was saying that I'd sort of found these stories a bit odd, and he said, well, what do you think about his poetry? And I said, oh, I didn't know he wrote poetry. He said, oh, look, go, I'll look after the stall, I'll mind the stall for 10 minutes, go to the other end there, go to Vissor, which is his publisher, and go and buy his his poems, because they're great. And I went to, I went to this sort oh, I went and bought okay. those sort of big collected poems because I was, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very susceptible if people say I need to buy a book, I'll go and buy a book. And um, was, yeah, just blown away by them. I mean, it's it was a sort of very odd kind of poetry that I'd not really, not really sort of seen before. I mean, it's quite, I mean, as I've been translating him and sort of learning a bit more, I can see it being connected to, other kinds of writing and to have have certain influences and so on. I mean, probably mostly from America and you know, both Americas, North America and South America. But it was just it's so prose, exciting. isn't it? It's
0: prose poetry, really, it's sort of yeah. interesting hybrid, as you say. Various influences.
1: It's a very strong oh, voice. in it. Yes. No. I mean, it's well. it's, it's entirely, yeah, entirely kind of unified by the voice or held together by the voice. Mm. Absolutely intriguing and you never know where it's going to go i mean if you uh you go through them and and they never end i mean sometimes he ends them back where they started but normally they're kind of they start and then then you start sort of with something very specific and then you end up with kind of god or death or war or or something kind of opening out into quite spanish death is a
0: very spanish preoccupation of course the fate will come to that the fatalism Did you meet him then or when you were working on his poetry?
1: I have met him at the book fair sometime during the week afterwards. My friend who had recommended the poetry to me said, well, you know, do you want to meet him? So he came over and we had a chat and he was very nice. And I said, well, you know, I'm really liking your poetry. Would you mind if I tried translating some? And he said, no, no, absolutely not. And was, was very positive about that. And I've met him since then. Certainly for the translation we've we've been in touch. Again, not not in particular detail because one of the things that he's I mean, he's he's been very he's been very I mean, in some senses an ideal translatee because he lets me get on with what I want to do rather than kind of telling me how things should be. So he's been there and he's been very helpful if ever I've had any questions.
0: So this text, I mean it's an extraordinary text, but it's not an easy one. So knowing him, I mean how, how, how in a way how close or how free you are to interpret, and if you were stuck, was he helpful he
1: was he was very helpful in general I don't think I had very many specific questions where I needed his help his help with meaning because these are these are complicated complicated poems, but I think the complexity comes much more from the emotion emotions, and the way yeah. in which the the way in which mm-hmm. the emotions are made manifest or you know expressed and so on uh, there's not you know it's not a huge problem of I mean, he's from his family's originally from a very small town Spain and his so which
0: which part of Spain
1: he was born in Barbastro up near the Pyrenees so it's yep. it's North Spain kind North, of
0: yeah, way where... of but, but from the quite, of in America, yeah, yeah.
1: away from the tourism and so on and quite sort of abandoned. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of people talking about this at the moment in, in, in Spain, the idea of um, what they say, what they call La España Fafia. So empty Spain. And if you look at demographic maps, oh, yeah. Spain is essentially I mean, kind of a point in the middle, which is Madrid, which has a lot of people and a ring round the edge because people live by the sea. But there's this huge, empty, dusty spaces in the middle which don't really have mm. much population at all. So, I mean, that's Vilas's background, and he writes about it. I mean, I'd be very interested to see what happens when Ordessa is published in November because I think that he captures that kind of mm. slightly, very, you know, dusty as you said abandoned vacant, abandoned, abandoned part of day. the country yeah. yeah very very well yeah. he he was, he was he was obviously very clever obviously very motivated journalist writing in um, local newspapers then moved to moved to madrid and has and essentially worked as a writer since then i mean it is and it is difficult to earn a living as a writer in spain he does now live and work in america and, but
0: let's have an idea of the actual book heaven which also includes his his other collection of poetry, mm-hmm. which came out of it later, "Calor" or "Heat." So, can you give us a brief description?
1: It's not arbitrary that the two books are put together in in one collection, but one of the reasons that they're put together is that my two favorite of his of his books. So, there's a certain arbitrariness there, but "Heaven" is essentially a more narrative a more narrative collection. So, it's a series of poems that are about a protagonist, traveling around France and the south of Spain and um, the, I mean, sort of traveling from the south of France to the south of Spain, essentially, and staying in hotels, drinking too much, uh, picking up women, have a rather unhappy time with them, remembering his past Thinking rather despairingly about what might his his future might be, and and essentially looking at Spain with a, a fairly unclouded, fairly, I mean, not quite cynical, but a fairly sort of blunt eye for the peculiarities and foibles that the country has. Heat is slightly more personal, I think. I mean, it's set much more in uh, specific times and places, and the protagonist, I think, can be connected much more um, directly to Vilas himself. And that has poems about public events. I mean, the the first poem in the collection is is, um, La Lluvia, The Rain, which is about the the royal wedding of 2004 between Felipe and Letizia which has this sort of, again, beautifully, beautifully described, but rather harsh description of watching the royal wedding in a bar and seeing all these people who are obviously indicative of how important Spain thinks it is, but then uh, how geopolitically it's not and so on. <laughs> so there's, I mean, there's this lovely bit, <laughs> Just all the people who've come, and then at the end he's describe. He says, you know, the emperor of the world stayed in America, uninterested in the minor rituals of his provinces. So this is, you know, the president didn't, the U.S. president didn't come to this wedding. So the things that people, sort of Spanish people, set this up as the major, major event in their political life or their major event. It's very like Goya in some ways. I mean, Goya, for some reason. A court painter in Spain was accepted as kind of a painter of royalty, but all his official portraits show the royals as essentially, I mean, mentally defective. Yeah. As it were, yeah. I mean, he? I mean, yeah, he's satirical, isn't he? He's satirical, and he's so overtly yeah, satirical, yeah. satirical that you can't imagine why why anyone would would sort of accept this. And that's maybe that's the sort of. Spanish trait as well. I mean, I think it's a very Spanish Spanish book in that sense that, you know, Spanish people laughing at other Spanish people and the targets of the satire thinking, well, oh, fair enough, you know, as it were. I think, I mean, that's a very, a very Spanish aspect too. I mean, he is very special. And what is it that makes
0: him special? And how is it that his writing is also both very local, if you like, but also absolutely universal, which means course it means it'll travel very well in translation and find new readers outside Spain.
1: I think perhaps it goes back to the idea that the thing that is complex, the thing that is interesting about it is the emotional the emotional response. And I think that what Vilas is doing is looking at this very, very Spanish, very specifically Spanish, very run down, very sort of slightly incoherent state that he happens to be living in and describing it absolutely pitilessly and no illusions whatsoever. And I think that that... I mean, I think it's the the quality of sustained attention to the topic that makes him a universal writer. I think the very... I mean, the the interesting thing about translation is that it's a... um, trying to find you're trying to find something universal across cultural boundaries, I suppose translation is yes uh, uh, good translations are exercised in empathy you're trying to find some sort of communal space where you can understand why it is that someone would 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 say something in this in this way because what you're trying to do is you're trying to. You people think about it in word, terms of words and translators if you talk to translators, one of the things you can do for ages is sit around chatting about your favorite words in particular languages, your favorite expressions and everything. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's great but actually what you're really doing is trying to explain a universal universal humanity outside of the bounds of culture yeah I do have feel that I have a responsibility to make something to show how even within a slightly odd or different um you know different set of cultural values i mean to come back to what we were saying spain is you know spain spanish people are always willing to do themselves down and english people famously and very much you know noticeably over the past few years have there's been a very strong strain of england being kind of you know England's the best. know Britain's never will be slaves. British exceptionalism and so on. And so you would have thought maybe that Spain and, and England might have very different attitudes, and that might be difficult to get across. But so you're negotiating between two two cultural environments and trying to show what's to actually the common ground between them. This is the thing about having a writer like Vilas.
0: You see a completely other take of the sort of tourism. The mainstream here, Spain, is what it's bullfights, it's Ibiza, it's the sort of cliched almost. He You get a real inside, other perception, a genuine local perception, really, a real Spanish perception of actually what it's like. The way he writes about all the the women on the beach and the what kind of perceptions do you think he blows out of the water?
1: He is showing that the poems of of heaven are all about how it's not actually. It's not actually easy to live in that kind of paradise. I he writes beautifully with raw energy and
0: poetic rage about sex tourism, the Catholic Kitchen of Lourdes, Valdemosa in Mallorca, that's Chopin's Sand, yeah. lonely men drinking in bars, swimming in the sea, beach life, his failed marriage, and there's parody, pop mythology, reflections on the underbelly of capitalism. So the metaphor that's what you've just the metaphor for translating him in a way you're translating the hangover. That's a wonderful image.
1: There there's an extent to which he's sort of in some in some of his poems he's kind of picking through the language rather gingerly, isn't he? That he's sort of thinking that, okay, I'm I'm I mean as you do when you've got a terrible hangover, you think kind of each word may be your last and your brain can't really kind of move from one point to the next without without a great deal of effort and so the once you've taken the decision to do something you have to uh, you have to follow through and you have to essentially work without work without thinking you know I'm going to if I if I don't think about it too much I'm going to get out of bed I'm going to go to the shower I'm going to put some clothes on I'm going to drink some water and then I'll sit on the sofa and Maybe feel a bit better, and that's kind of you know the hangover mindset. But a lot of his poems are like that. For you that they're sort of moving from point to point, and you don't you don't see a rationale behind them. You see a sort of step by step description of particular actions, but you're not um, you're not there's not a sort of overarching uh, plan.
0: But it somehow works, though so it gels together the way he does it. It's not interestingly that though there's a certain Almost nihilism in a way. He, he, there is something quite nihilistic about his view, but there's something also quite oddly coherent. It's as though the world is falling apart, but he hasn't completely lost. He's not. He hasn't lost his core, if you like. He's raging and trying to figure it out.
1: In heat, for example, there are there are a couple of poems about kind of um, about what's happening to the world. You know about how the planet's warming up and people are. I mean, it just it's very. Mm. A sort of amazingly oppressive poem of how things are changing but that's immediately in the book I don't think it's coincidence it's sort of very the next poem but one after that is one called the kids are all right which is this sort of positive idea about going to Barcelona a little poem about going to Barcelona and kind of thinking there is hope for the future seeing mm. the, seeing the next generations and all and so on so i I think that there is there is despair but I think it's not destroyed him as a person, but he's still yeah. thing, he's still thinking, he's still kind of perceiving things, but it is as we carry on, I mean everyone's forgotten about climate change for the last three weeks, but it's still, you know, it's still happening. And it's that kind it's the kind of attitude that I think that probably needs to needs to exist, which is to think, okay, everything is incredibly incredibly complicated, but there is something that will survive no matter what. I mean, I think there's a great deal of compassion in his poetry.
0: There's a certain fate. I mean, there is perhaps a certain fatalism, which, of course, is Spanish culture. That is, I mean, almost a cliche.
1: Um, there is there is a great deal of fatalism in Spanish culture, and that's, I, for, the main reason is I think culturally is 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 definitely, I mean, is the question of the church. I mean, I think mm. that's always Spain has always been a deeply Catholic and deeply superstitiously Catholic country. And one of the things that and and equally the the degree of good degree of social inequality in Spain has always been very great as well. So you have a sense in which you know people think that first of all if things happen then it's something to do with God and that's really you know, nothing that they can deal with. And secondly, if bad things happen, it's because they are the they tend to be kind of the the underclass rather than rather than the people at the top of the pile. So I think that that's you know, that's where that's where fatalism comes from. And one of the ways in which you deal with this sort of fatalism is a degree of a degree of black humour and kind of fighting mm-hmm. back against the the people above you. So Spain has a, a bit like France, but certainly not like England, has a very greater culture of, you know, finds blasphemy much funnier than than English people do because it's actually, there's actually a, a a thrill to it, a certain amount of, you're actually kind of attacking something greater than you that you, you, you do believe in or half believe in. The other thing is, you know, there's a very strong tradition of going against uh, people in authority. I mean the first Spanish novel or what's identified as a you know, um, La Feria de Tormes, a sort of anonymous short novel about a guy who is a servant to various masters and all of the masters are inadequate and uh hypocritical and um yeah. you know, uh, impossible to impossible to deal with. Or even Don Quixote. I mean, the master, uh, the the oh, relationship between the master, earthy. the master and the servant, and you know, Sancho Panza there hands, is kind yeah. of you know, I'm going along with this guy because yeah. he's because he's my master. There's a certain sense of resignation to higher powers, whether they're earthly powers or, or go back to this idea of uh, people at the top and people underneath. Mm. Because you've got Spain is essentially formed by a series of Decrees, you know, the expulsion mm. of the Jews, the expulsion of the Moors, the Francoist idea of, you know, one united Spain, yeah. uh, one united Catholic Spain, so, um, yeah. is, 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 you know, there's a counterpoint to that, which is that one of the things that happened in, um, in Spanish culture is that these, these expulsions, these orders, these decrees were, um, you know, were effective on paper or effective ideologically, but actually didn't
0: they were effective ideologically, yeah. but did
1: but didn't transform the way in which people people actually uh, existed. Yeah. So, you know, there is a huge you know, were more you know, the Moors were expelled, the Jews were expelled, the um but well, did they the gypsies have a terrible mm-hmm. time but but mm-hmm. then again uh um gypsy culture in the south of Spain is actually, you know, via Lorca and so on, is what in some ways what we recognise as Spanish culture. Yeah. So actually, the the yeah. the way in which uh, these, those, these these those these these like, yeah right? exactly absorbed these these kind of oppressed groups have in some senses mm. become what what Spain is. Could you read
0: us a poem that particularly captures a certain aspect? essence of
1: his writing and voice i think I'll, I'll, I'll read one of the later ones from heaven which is um called the unknown man on an august night in Caracas, i fell to drinking with an unknown man it got to be six in the morning we went down to the beach with a bottle of gin and there was already that horrible unsleeping heat the old age of desire the unknown man looked at the stars and spoke without meaning. There was a boat up on the sand and he threw little stones at it while he drank and smoked. The unknown man had come with me from bar to bar and had taken on a lot of gin with me, both of us prisoners of the sea and these boats of physical exhaustion, speaking of women and football, telling jokes and moving our feet rhythmically, one hand holding a big biro and the other the glass of gin. The unknown man said, It's already grown light. It'll cool down soon. I used to have a good job and earn quite a lot of money, and my mother was proud of me. I was good at my work, dedicated my whole life to it. One day my mother fell ill, and the doctors told me she was going to die, but that it would be a long, slow death, unpredictable. I gave up as many of my obligations as possible to look after her, My bosses asked me about my mother almost every day, but I realised I couldn't be out of the office much longer and hired a nurse. One night my mother got much worse, but the next morning she told me that she was better and I went to work. While I was in my office working, my mother died. I didn't see her die and I was not with her when she died. I got back home and she was dead. Six months later they sacked me because my department was no longer viable. And I was even less viable because I had grown melancholy, unbearable, lazy, alcoholic, violent. I gave my flesh and my mother's flesh for this job, and then they sent me into Limbo. I'm not going to feel sorry for you, I said. If you don't have a place to sleep, sleep on the beach. I've already paid fifteen rounds of gin, six packs of Marlborough's and I do have somewhere to sleep, a three star hotel, which isn't bad. The showers are strong enough, and the sheets and towels are much cleaner than your soul. But, you know, if it would help, I'll say I'm sorry about your mother. And if I had a copy of Jorge Manrique's poetry here with me, I'd give it to you straight away, because Manrique was this guy who lost his father, like you lost your mother. But he didn't have a bad job like you, and definitely drank a lot less than you do. And Manrique, poet and warrior, would have known to slash the throats of all your bosses, the ones who stopped you from taking your mother's hand when she left this world. That's what's killing you now that you weren't brave enough to kill the people who misled you and brought you into a false life, a life without honour. The unknown man stands up and throws an empty bottle of gin into the sea. Then he takes off his shirt and naked enters the water with decisive strides. Goodbye, he says, I'm walking to the end of the earth. And then a wave hits him and knocks him over. He is so drunk. But as he falls, he breaks open his head on a rock on the seabed. His body inert, the wave soaking his clothes on the sand, his head, his hair filled with blood, the gin mixed with blood and the blood mixed with water. I call the police. And the doctor says that the unknown man has snuffed it. That he was so drunk, the blow to his head choked him. And I look at him and, yes, he looks like he can't breathe. They take me to the police station. And I get back to my hotel at 7 p.m. Tired, dirty, having signed a hundred statements with a cheque for forty dollars made out to a young man who has been a lawyer for me. Tired of cafes and sub-commissaries, I throw myself down on the hotel bed and fall asleep, thinking about the unknown man's mother, about meetings between the dead, the dead mother, the dead son, everyone dead, and all the time my fellow hotel dwellers taking the sun on the terrace, and the hotel orchestra – it's a tourist hotel – starts to set up by the swimming pool, and I am lost in this world like a beast with no heart. Like an infantry captain in the Great War, with his chest unseen by bullets, with a huge moustache, with dark eyebrows, wide-shouldered, a captain who seems dead, but who suddenly leaps from the trench and starts to shoot at everyone. And it is impossible that a man with so many bullets in him could still even hold a pistol.
0: Thank you, James, for coming to be interviewed. Heaven by Manuel Vilas is published by Carcanet and is available from online outlets such as Waterstones, Foil's, Daunt Books, Hive, and Amazon. To buy it from your local independent bookseller, you can find your nearest store by visiting booksellers.org.uk/forward/slash/bookshop/search. This podcast is brought to you by BookBlast. For more bookishness between episodes, visit online journal The Bookblast Diary or find us on Twitter at Bookblast. Special thanks to sound editor Rupert Such, theme tune composer Edward Campbell, and to translator James Womack for taking the time to be interviewed. And thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Bookblast podcast.